Just in case you don't know who I am, Pastor Chris is on sabbatical for the next few weeks, and I'm his father. Don't, you know, people blame me, people congratulate me. Uh, I'm his dad, and I've been, uh, I was retired about 16 months ago, and then took a church as an interim in Bavard, and just retired from that church last week. Uh, they found a pastor finally, and uh, so I'm here with you this morning, and of course you know the subject is spiritual warfare. I want to encourage you, and I know some of you will forget between now and then, uh, but uh, one of our elders, Rich Miller, will be teaching an in-depth course on spiritual warfare and how to have victory uh, in walking with the Lord, Saturday, August the 26th. 9 a.m. through 12 p.m. upstairs. Uh, I wish we had had a course like this when I was a young guy, when I came to faith in Christ. I could have avoided so many pitfalls. Um, but all we had back then was dirt. So we'll just go from there and uh, encourage you to sign up today. At the end of the service, Rich will be outside at a table. Let's pray together. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, this morning we're going to be looking at uh, one of the letters of the Apostle Paul, uh, one of the original leaders in the church, and we're going to be in Ephesians 6, chapter 6, <clears throat> and you know the <clears throat> this was a letter. You know, we kind of divided it up into... I'm glad they put this water up here. Let me take this drink. We've kind of divided it up <clears throat> to chapters and verses, but it was just a letter intended to be read at one setting. And uh, Paul often would save uh, the most weighty part of whatever he had to say to a church to the very end, almost like a person who maybe on their deathbed uh, has some things he wants to say. You know, the chit-chat stops, and they kind of really get focused on what is exceedingly important. Kind of a bottom-line type situation. And that's what, that is what, exactly what Paul is doing here in the sixth chapter in verse 10 as he begins his passage. He begins with the phrase, Finally. Uh, and uh, it's, it's, it reminds me of when I was a child, uh, the city that I lived in, we had a mountain. It was really, I guess, around here, we just call it a hill. But we had just one mountain. And the two, the two television stations, that's all we had back then, uh, were up on top of the mountain. And on the 4th of July, they, they would shoot off the fireworks. And so all the community would drive uh, to the base of the mountain and everybody would get out of their cars, sit on their hoods, and roll down their windows and turn on a certain radio station <clears throat> because two minutes and 50 seconds uh, away from the grand finale, uh, they would begin to play William Tell, the William, William Tell Overture. And if you're familiar with that uh, piece of orchestration, it's very lively and it kind of builds to crescendo. And I don't know how in the 60s they were able to synchronize it, but, but most of the time they did, they did a pretty good job to where actually the last firework was usually ending with that grand finale at the same time uh, that the uh, music playing on the radio was over. 
And this is essentially what Paul is doing. Is he's, he's saying this is, this is really important. Now, he's talked a lot, a, a lot about pragmatic application issues that I would say, having lived overseas where cultures are primarily spiritual, and living in America where our culture is pri primarily rationalistic, we're much more comfortable with the pragmatic writings of Paul than when Paul gets into some of these spiritual applications. I've heard it said by some millennials uh, that uh, the place that is the least spiritual in America on Sunday mornings is the American church. Uh, we're, 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 we're just uncomfortable many times when it comes to spirituality. There's a lot of errors, I think, that can be made when it comes to our spirituality. That, but Paul is talking about the spiritual realm. And of course, what the Bible teaches is, is us is that the foundation of all that is, in its essence, is spiritual. And the physical is here, it's real, but it's passing. It's temporal. But that's, that's, that's all that you and I can see. So it, let's, let's just look at two verses beginning in chapter 10 Paul says finally be strengthened by the Lord now this is an interesting phrase and I'm going to talk a little grammar here uh, I don't like grammar I didn't I barely the only reason I passed English is because my wife Heather reviewed my papers otherwise I would have never passed but but you know I do I have studied and learned the Greek and the Hebrew and I read in the text many times and this is an interesting phraseology because it's it's a passive active verb and and, and it's it's a it's a it's a phrase and that we wouldn't use much in in north american contemporary <coughs> terminology and in this case uh, you know what it means is to be acted upon not to act to be strengthened uh, our concept would be more like you know get get strong my, my wife and I uh, have been aware uh, of the past several years of our physical declension. Let's put it that way. We're getting old. And there's a lot of transition and a lot of changes that, that are going on. And it's kind of like from going to being, from being a 17-year-old or 7-year-old to a 7-year-old. Everything is ascension. Everything's getting bigger. Everything's getting stronger. And, and it, you know, it's a particular time in life where you can almost go to the mirror and look and see the change, the physical changes. Well, about the time you get 55 or 60, it, it goes the opposite direction. <clears throat> and uh, all of a sudden, a few years ago, I started, uh, I started realizing I, I'd lost all of my muscle mass. And where I used to have muscles, you know, I, I now have noodles. And so, you know, we've gone and we've gotten some weights at our doctor's encouragement. And so three to four times a week, we sometimes we do it together. Sometimes we don't do it together. We got this series of weightlifting and really all essentially, I know, you know, I'm not, I'm not deceived in this. All we're trying to do is maintain what little we've got left. We're not we're actually trying to do anything extraordinary, but we, we are strengthening ourselves. In, in America, that's almost an obsession. You go to the gym. You know, young people, <clears throat> go to the gym. Your pastor, he goes to the gym. And my son, you know, sometimes I know it. He's got pride issues. He's proud of his guns, you know. He's got some guns. But, but you know, the truth of the matter is I see noodles in his future. I mean, I, I, know, I know what's coming. And uh, uh, so, 
you know, we know what it means to, to go out and try to become strong and be strong. And this, this text, and I want you to hear this, Paul is not saying you better be ready and be strong. Uh, you know, that would be like saying when it comes to spiritual matters, you know, go work out today, then go out on, on 26, and when you see an 18-wheeler coming at you at 80 miles an hour, just get down and put your hands out and get ready to stop it. Uh, the reality is you're going to be run over. You're going to lose that battle. Paul, Paul is not encouraging you as the church to somehow, when you get into the area of spiritual warfare, to depend on your own resources or your own abilities or your own intellect or your own capabilities. That is an incredibly big mistake that in our rationalistic culture, we think the same way that we deal with the physical realities uh, that we can deal in the same way with spiritual reality. So Paul's exhortation is, is, listen, this is important. This is my final word to you, is you need to learn all that it means now. You need to be prepared for what's coming because it is going to come. Be strengthened by the Lord. Look to the Lord. Look to God. Learn what it means to have confidence. Uh, look, learn what it means uh, to depend in, in, in all of your resources to be you know, in Christ, to be in God, and by his vast strength. Now, I love that phraseology because what he's saying is where your strength, even, even when I was young, Heather and I, we, you know, a lot of life is when you're young is about anticipation, right? You're always anticipating what's coming. And then you get old, and then it's all, about, it's all about reflection. It's all about what used to be. And so, uh, you know, sometimes I'll tell Heather, I'll say, you know, you remember when we were young, and, the, and when the sun came up, I could get out, and I could work, and work, and work, and work, and you'd have to call me in for lunch, because I wouldn't even stop to work, and I'd work, and work, and work, and then the sun would go down, and I'd go get lights, and I'd put the lights up, so I could work, and work, and work. And you know, you know what it's like now? It's like I get up and I work and work. About 10 o'clock in the morning, I start thinking, is it nap time yet? Uh, you know, don't, don't. Paul is saying your strength, whether you're young today or whether you're old, it's, you have limit. You might not think you do, but listen, you're going, you're going to face circumstances and realities in life where you're going to find out your limitations. I mean, some of that's just a physical reality. You're going to find out what your limitations is, but you have an enemy who is going to make sure you find out what those limitations are. But really, in deception, he just wants to keep you moving, confiding in your own strength. But, God, but God's resources are inexhaustible. And so he says, be strengthened by the Lord in his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God. We're going to talk about that in the next few weeks so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. Now, that, that word tactic or scheme uh, in, in the original Greek is schematica. And, and what it means is, is, is Satan is a strategist. You know what my job title was for the last 15 years of my ministry with the International Mission Board? I was the senior strategist now that's that's a little scary 
in reflecting on, on how the scripture introduces our enemy. But you know what my job was? My, my job was to, to work with a pastor in a local congregation to find general motivation to accomplish uh, the Great Commission, but in particular to look at the necessities and the needs of that church because every church is different to help that pastor and to work with that congregation to get them on the mission field to accomplish what God has given the church to do to reach everybody, every boy and girl all around the world, every ethnicity, every tribe, every tongue. So on that day, the redeemed will stand around the throne and worship our God who is worthy. So I was a strategist to try to figure these things out. Now, the inverse of what is true spiritually is true in the sense of the dark realm, according to Paul. There is a strategist. He was evidently someone who was high up in the hierarchy of heaven. He rebelled against the authority of God, thought he could be better at being God than God could be. And so he rebelled. There was a certain number of angels who followed him in rebellion. Now, we know that uh, uh, his ultimate objective is to destroy everything that God loves. And what God loves most, I mean, we all know the scripture. Most of us know and have heard him can repeat John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And what Satan says to God is over my dead body. I'm going I'm to take as many with me. I'm going to do everything I can to frustrate, frustrate the Father in heaven so that his prized possession, humanity, that I, they may not know you or experience you in the way that you desire to be known and experienced. So let me give you very quickly the two Two objectives. I always had objectives in a church, working with a church. And so your enemy has two objectives and you need to be aware of these objectives because he wants to kind of cloud over and, and, and make, make unknown exactly what his agendas are. Number one is, is to keep non-believers from the peace and the hope of Christ in this life and the promise of everlasting life. So everyone we know and love who is not a believer, not a follower of Christ, Anyone that's here this morning, you have a spiritual enemy that is unseen to you. And his objective is to make sure that you never know the power of God, the love of God, the peace of God in this life. So that you certainly will never experience his presence in everlasting life. Because that's the, that's the finished, that's what Jesus came to do. He came to give us peace in this world, this, the difficulties and the, the adversities that we face in this world. He gives us power to overcome. He gives us peace. And then ultimately we die and we spend eternity with him in heaven. And, and Satan, Satan doesn't want that to happen. Uh, you know, we're going to have adversity whether we're believers or not, right? I, I, I came across this quote from from C.S. Lewis, and I, and I love it. I just saw it this morning. Uh, living life is like going to the dentist. You can sit in the chair, and you can, you can hold on to the arms of the chair, or you can cross your hands over your chest and lie peacefully in the chair, but the drill is coming. Adversity is coming. You cannot live life. We, we spend all of our life, a lot of energy, trying to escape adversity, but, but we cannot do it. So Satan is at work in all of life using all different types of schemes in order to keep people from learning about the love of God. But he's got a second objective, and that's for the believer. And for the believer, it is to keep believers from living a spiritually victorious life. There is no better testimony 
to the world, to the ineffectiveness of God than a defeated believer. And so Satan works uh, in a mighty way in your life and in my life to keep us from that spiritually victorious life. He keeps us from enjoying the love and the presence of God to keep the believer in a spiritual blindness and bondage until death. Now, folks, I, I've, I've pastored a lot of churches and I've pastored a long time in my life and I can assure you that he is highly effective at uh, affecting his strategy in the church of Jesus Christ. I've always known those who have learned the lessons and know what it means to walk in the fullness of the God's spirit and those who know that they're in essence in a spiritual battle, but they are even the few in the church, even the few in the church. The majority uh, kind of stay in that place where they live that life defeated. So, so that, is, that is his objective. Now, one of the things that we've noticed is, as missionaries living overseas is that most, most men and women around the world are living spiritual cultures. They believe in this. I mean, they believe in spiritual warfare. They, they're not, may, may, they may be Muslims. They might, uh, you know, they might believe uh, in, in demons or worship other deities. But, but they're willing to talk about spiritual things because they, they've seen the power of Satan in their lives. They, the, Satan kind of shows off in those type of cultural environments. But I think the best way that he works in westernized or rationalistic cultures like ours is he doesn't show himself at all, or he shows himself very rarely. So you can go watch these movies about demons and Linda Blair spinning around with her head and spitting out pea, pea soup, but you'll probably never see anything like that. Because his very nature, his chief tactic is, is to deceive. So he wants to, he wants to work and remain unknown. This is, this is something we've got to learn about this battle that we're in. The battle in its nature is spiritual. Number one is, is we, we need to be ready because it's coming. Number two is we need to be prepared in his vast strength by walking with him, being filled with the Spirit, learning what Jesus taught us in John chapter 15, where he says that Jesus is to abide in us and we're to abide in him. And that, that's really the secret to living a life that is filled with the peace and, and the power of God is daily abiding in Christ and him in us. He says, be strong in his, uh, his vast strength and then be aware. The nature of the battle of life is spiritual. You know, I, I've, I've been in ministry 47 years, and I, and I can tell you, you know, from my perspective, you know, somebody will say, well, how many, exactly how many demons have you seen in your 47 years of ministry? And I could count on one hand, zero. I mean, I haven't seen, I've, I've seen some stuff that I don't even want to go into because people like to sensationalize it, uh, but but I, haven't, I haven't seen a lot. But, but from time to time, God will open my eyes to the reality of foundational spiritual battle that we're in. And let, let me kind of tell you how, how that's worked in my life. And, the, and my wife, I think, is here somewhere this morning, and she can attest to this. One of the things, one of, one of the weaknesses, and we'll talk about this, how what the devil does is he uses what you give him. In other words, he doesn't have to go out. He doesn't have the resources to kind of go out and bring, you know, something else in. He'll just use what you and I give him. And, and one of the things I think as I've grown older is, is I've realized that I've real, one of the real strongholds I have my, in my life is fear. Uh, really a lot of fear-based motivation. So in, in, in preaching, 
uh, as, as we begin to see God work powerfully in a church, uh, I began to have nightmares on Saturday night. I've never had nightmares in my life, and I've never had nightmares during the week, but Saturday night, I had horrible, horrible nightmares. And I would toss and turn, and my nightmares were always about something drastic happening to my wife or to my children or my grandchildren. Because Satan knew that was one of my weaknesses. And so I would toss and turn, sometimes for 45 minutes, sometimes for two hours, and, and, and eventually I'd wake up terrified because of this dream that seemed so real in, in my life about what was going to happen to my children or happen to my wife, and I, and I couldn't sleep. And so I'd go to Sunday morning, we had multiple services, and I'd get up to preach, and I was exhausted because I was so distracted by the nightmares that were coming. And, and the nightmares just wouldn't start, stop, and they wouldn't went on for years and years and years and being the bright guy that I am sooner or later later it dawned on me maybe there's something else going on here and, 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 and my wife began to pray for me she, she, I didn't bring her into this I didn't, want her, I didn't want her to know what was going on, but she knew that I was up and I was rolling and, and I wasn't able to sleep. And so for, for years, she began to pray for me. And there were nights where she stayed up all Saturday night interceding for me just to get me through the night. But, you know, the, the battle went on. And it finally came to a point in my life of just, of just real desperation. I began to pray and, and it finally dawned on me that this was a spiritual battle going on. And I began to pray. And uh, one night, I, was, uh, I, I, was, I had fallen asleep on a Saturday night. And I had this dream. And all of a sudden, I was in a garden. Now, this, isn't very, this never happened on a Saturday night. This garden, I was there. I was with Heather. And there were birds singing. And, and the, there were people, but they were, they were not close by. And all of a sudden, praise started. People, there, there was this, this music that started. And, and all of a sudden, out of, out of me, you know, if you, if you know anything, you don't know anything about me, I, I love, I love worship. I've learned to love worship. I didn't love worship as a young man. When we did music, uh, Mike, at another church, I, I, I'd leave and go to the church that wasn't doing music because I wanted to hear the preaching. I didn't care anything about music. But, but I've learned what it means to enter in to worship and, and the need I have to worship God. But, but I can't sing. I mean, it, it's horrible. You know, it's, it's embarrassing. I even, when I sing alone, I'm embarrassed for myself. That's <laughs> how bad it is. And it's hard for me to worship with you guys because I always, what's going through my mind is, well, who am I distracting? But all of a sudden, in this garden, I began to sing a song that I'd never heard before. And I didn't have to think about the words. They just, they just, they just flowed. And, and it's hard to describe because it's, it's like all of a sudden, every burden, every weight, every fear just evaporated. It just was gone. And, and that Sunday morning, I woke up with absolute peace. 
Now, now, since that time, two or three times during crisis during my life, God has carried me back to that garden, and he's given me that promise through that dream. And, I, and I've understood that in my context, that I was, I was in a war, and, and Satan was using the leverage that I was giving him because of who I am, and he was utilizing that to keep me from experiencing what God has for me in the future. So that, that was a spiritual battle. When I was in my young 20s, I went to, to pastor a church uh, that was a, a lot bigger church than what my 20-something years were able to lead. But, you know, there I was, and I, I had an elder deacon who at that time was 82 years of age he, from Connecticut, and his name was Herbie Smith. Now, Herbie was what we call in Alabama a hoot. And, and, but he always looks, you know how old people always look mad? You know, Heather would tell me, you know, smile. You know, you, you know everybody thinks you're mad. I'm not mad, I'm just old. <laughs> Herbie always looked mad. So, so the first Sunday, my first Sunday, we had this big long line of people greeting me and walking out the door and Herbie's waiting, you know, and he walks up and he shakes my hand and very effusively he takes my hand and he pumps it and he bends down and he says, oh, Pastor Joe, Pastor Joe, he said, I've heard some sermons before. Oh, I've heard some sermons before. And you know, everybody's standing around listening to Herbie. He's a leader in the church. And then he walks about five feet and he turns around and goes, but that wasn't one of them. I was Herbie. And I, I fell in love with Herbie. He was a funny, godly, wise. You see, I never knew my daddy. My daddy worked all the time. He was always gone. And when he was home, he was so tired. He was an introvert. I just, I just never, I, I never knew my father. And so God has always in ministry given me dads. Now I'm too old to get a dad, but you know, I got to be somebody else's dad. But Herbie was my dad. And about a year in the ministry, Herbie began to have heart problems. And I was still young then. I don't, I don't pray for old people now the way I pray for young. I pray, I intercede for young people to be healthy and to live. And, but you know, now that I'm getting old, I'm thinking, you know, you just, you're going to die. <laughs> I pray for you, but you know, you're going to die. <laughs> but I didn't know that when I was young, and so I prayed. I agonized. I, I, I did everything I knew to do as a young Christian. I prayed for her because I, need, I needed Herbie Smith in my life. One Sunday uh, after church, I, I went home, and I was tired, and Heather and I lay down to take a nap. Aren't you glad for Sunday afternoon naps? One of the great gifts of God. Uh, and, and I fell asleep, which is sometimes a mistake when you've got to get up and preach again. But I fell asleep, and I had a dream. And in the dream, I was walking with Herbie through the woods. We were having a conversation, and we came to the edge of a river. And, and there was a man standing on the other side of the river. And all of a sudden, in the dream, the phone rang. Now, back then, there were no cell phones. And so when I turned around, up, up, up in the woods, I had not seen it. Was Remember these phones in a plastic case that you pick up and you put a quarter in and dial a... That, that was in the woods. This phone was ringing in the woods. 
And, and I went to get the phone, and when I turned around and looked, Herbie was, had gone out to meet the man, and they'd crossed the river and were standing on the other side, and Herbie has put his hand up, and he said, you can't come. Immediately, my wife shook me. And she said, honey, that was Edith on the phone. Herbie just died. Now, folks, that was God's gift to a young pastor to know that it was God's time to take my best friend home. That's spiritual. You know, these are the, I don't think I've ever told another congregation that story because when I tell those kind of stories, I feel freaky. I don't know what you're thinking because the way the enemy and God himself works in your life will be different than the way God works in my life. All I know is there is an enemy that we need to be aware of and he is stalking you to devour you, to destroy you, to deceive you, to keep you from the king of glory and all of his goodness. You better be aware. Young people, you better be aware. So the battle is spiritual. I've already mentioned this, but he'll use whatever leverage points we give him. He, he studies the world. I see, I see all the stuff that's going on in the Ukraine. And I think about all those young men, both Russian and Ukrainian that are dying, and how that world, that war could spread. And you know, I, I see you know, how the hopes of humanity is for peace and prosperity, but we, we never seem to get there. I mean, we just always are about violence and killing one another and power. And, and it doesn't make any sense unless the... I mean, war makes no sense to the rational mind. But here we are murdering men and women and children for the glory and power of a few individuals. That's demonic. I mean, that's a general strategy, but, but there's a specific strategy that's for you, just like I was a strategist that looked at the particular church. That, and so Satan, what Satan does and his minions do is they study you as an individual. He uses the natural lay of the land. He can even use good things. Now, this is where you've got to be careful. He'll use our personalities that are given to us by God. He'll use strong opinions. We've got a nation that, you know, from time to time, I'll, I'll read an article that's saying about America is on the brink of civil war. Our opinions are so passionate that we're willing, you know, literally to divide up as a people, not pull together as a people, uh, because our opinions are so strong. And, and folks, we can talk about that in our nation, but I've seen that in churches, just opinions. You know, this is one of the things I've learned as a pastor. Everybody's got an opinion, right? I've got an opinion. You've got an opinion. My job is not to give you my opinion. My job is to give you the Word of God. And too many people in the church equivocate their opinion with the Word of God. Your opinion is just your opinion. And the best thing for you to do most of the time when it comes to your opinion is just shut your mouth. I mean, we, all, we all, but in America, we just got to vomit everything up. We just got to tell everybody, well, I'll I tell you what I think. Well, nobody cares what you think. Nobody cares what I think. I mean, when we, co when we come to these, these life-altering, eternal moments that you and I are living, the best thing that you and I can do is to give one another the encouragement and the strength and the love of God Almighty. That's what you need. That's what I need. Instead of my opinion. 
But, but opinions, okay. I mean, I share my opinions with my wife and she shares her opinions with me. But, but I've seen Satan use those opinions to destroy people, destroy nations, and, 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 and destroy uh, churches. So he uses, we've already mentioned, he uses our weaknesses. He'll, he'll use our strengths, by the way. You know, I, I worked with, I think I had at one time 13,000 churches assigned to me. And I've seen a lot of pastors fall. And, and one pastor in particular who was very young and, and packed out a huge church after he fell morally, what he said is, is, is the reason I fell is number one is I, I wasn't accountable to anybody because I was too good. And number two is I believed what the people said about me. My God, my, he said the mistake I made was my congregation told me I was wonderful and I believed them. So pride. His pride got it. So he was strong in his ability to communicate the truth of the Word of God. And his strength became his weakness. See, see Satan will use whatever you give him, whether it's a weakness or it's a strength or, or something else. The other thing that he often uses is, is our strongholds. We all have strongholds. We, 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 can, we would call them in America today just natural propensities. You know, I have a tendency to, I, I'm bent this way. And so we'll excuse and we'll rationalize our, our, our tendencies. And so, uh, you know, you, you already told you one of my fears, one of my weaknesses. You want to know what my stronghold is? I don't think I've ever told anybody except my wife. She know, I didn't have to tell her. Temper. Temper. I've had a temper since I was a child. And, you know, in, in grammar school, I spent a lot of time with the principal's office for, for getting in fights. You, you offended me, I fought. I had a temper. And, and so, you know, my wife and I would, would get into a fight in our young marriage, and, you know, she'd push the wrong button, and I'd blow up, and, 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 and I'd say, well, after all, you know I've got a temper. If you wouldn't say that, I wouldn't do that. And, 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 and over a period of time, I began to realize I, I was crushing my wife, and I love my wife, and I didn't want to do that. So I began, you know, I began to seek God about my temper. And what God taught me was, if, if you get up in the morning, and if you abide in Christ, and, and He abides in you, you won't have a temper. So what I've learned is that, is that when Christ has all of me, when Christ has all of me, he takes away from me those strongholds and those propensities that we all have in life. I don't have to excuse myself. I'm just Irish. I've got a temper and I love whiskey. I, mean, I don't love whiskey, but I do have a temper. But God, God, God has given me victory for the most part over my temper by abiding in Christ. So again, he has a strategy and he'll use those leverage points. Look folks, don't expect spiritual fireworks in your life. It's just life. I mean, that's the way it works. You say, well, how do I know whether it's just a test from the enemy or it's just the circumstances of life? And the answer is, it doesn't matter. If you're prepared, it doesn't matter. If you have put on the armor of God, if you are walking in Christ, if you are filled with the Spirit, you will win the war. If you don't, Christian or not, He's going to blindside you. He's going to take you down. 
He's going to destroy your marriage. He's going to break up your relationships. He's going to create fear in your heart. He's going to give you anxiety. All different kinds of things are going to happen in your life if you do not prepare yourself for the battle that you and I are in. Listen, as we close this morning, there, there, there are two errors that we make. One is ignoring the spiritual reality that we have an enemy. And the second is undue fascination with darkness. You know, sometimes we have, we have people in our community, witches, warlocks, even Christians who become fascinated with the darkness. And the, and the darkness is, is perfectly satisfied with you to go just as deep as you want to go because it then can get its hooks into you. And so as a Christian, we, we know that the darkness is, 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 is out there, but it's never to be our focus as a follower of Christ. Our focus, our focus is on the light. This is the last thing I want to say to you this morning is there is a war that is waging around us between Satan and God, but they are not equal. Let me say that one more time. There is a war that is waging around us between Satan and God, but they are not equal. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time. Satan is not. Satan, our God, is our refuge. He is our strong tower. He is our ever-present help in time of need. God is with us, Emmanuel. Number two is he's omnipotent. Satan's not. God is all-powerful. The late pastor A.W. Tozier, who died 30 or 40 years ago said this, and I love this, God can do anything as easily as anything else. Isn't that good? God can do anything as easily as anything else. All his acts are done without effort. He, he expends no energy that must be replenished. His self-sufficiency makes it unnecessary for him to look outside of himself for a renewal of strength. All the power required to do all that he wills to do lies in his undiminished fullness in his own infinite being. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to learn again who is in control. And it's not Satan. The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans finishes up by saying this to the church. Now in all these things we are more than victorious through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that not even death or life, angels or rulers, things present or things to come, hostile powers, height or death or any other created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No, no, no. In all of these things we are more than victorious through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that not even death or life, angels or rulers, things present or things to come, hostile powers, height or death, or any other created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's the bottom line, church. We win. We win. King, the king, the king is the victor. God is triumphant.
The issue this morning is, do you even recognize there's a war going on? Let's pray. God, how, how hard it is for us to see with these opaque eyes with these eyes of clay the things of the Spirit but the Spirit is life the Spirit is power the Spirit is joy the Spirit is peace In Christ, we have the victory. But so many of us, Father, we stumble and we struggle being deceived, being robbed. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus over these weeks that you would open our spiritual eyes not only to the enemy, but to the God who redeems us. All eyes on Jesus. All eyes on Jesus. All eyes on Jesus. The resurrected King is our glory. He is our strength. He banishes our fears. He overcomes our weaknesses. He is a strong and conquering King. All eyes on Jesus. Our hearts long for Jesus. We look to Jesus. Father, awaken your church. Awaken your church. Our brothers and our sisters, our fathers and our mothers, they're slumbering, they're sinking down. Without, oh God, awaken your church. Oh God, let them not perish. It's not God's will that anyone perish, but that all come to faith in Christ. Father, we look to you. We look to you. I rest in you. We rest in you. Our confidence is in you. We ask all this now in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. As we finish in just a second, conclude by singing. If you're in a spiritual battle this morning, we're going to have some prayer partners that will be here to pray with you. As you leave the auditorium, I encourage you to sign up for this course that Rich is going to be teaching us on how to live victorious Christian life. Father, one last thing. All of my words and all of my exhortation is useless and dead unless the Spirit comes. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. I've had enough you know, Christianity that's dead and devoid of life. 
You've called us to be more than victorious, even in the darkness. I ask in the name of Jesus that you awaken this church. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Let's stand.